What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I have a really fascinating story for you guys. So Kristen Pfaff, she is the bassist, or she was the bassist for the band Hole. Now, I think a lot of you guys know Hole because of the fact that Courtney Love was in Hole. She was the lead singer and uh, quote-unquote guitarist. It's really interesting to see Kristen and her story and Kurt Cobain and his story because Kurt Cobain, as we all know, he died tragically in April of 1994. And his death, there's still a lot of controversy surrounding his death. Kristen died not long after Kurt Cobain died in an almost similar eerie kind of circumstance. Now, I'm going to be looking into the weird details about her death. Was Courtney Love involved in her death? Was there some kind of weird murder conspiracy thing going on here? Or was it simply just an accident? So we will look into all of that right now. There isn't a whole lot about Kristen in terms of her background that I could really sink my teeth into um, that I could find in articles. But from what I was able to pick up of Kristen, um, she was born in Buffalo, New York, and that's where she was born and raised. And Kristen seemed to be the kind of all-American girl next door. Like, she was a straight-A student. She was very um, polite and nice and kind and attentive and very smart. She would be on her school's pep rally. She would be also a cheerleader at school. Like, everyone just knew and loved her, and they always had nice, positive things to say about her. She was a good kid, let's just say that. Um, So she graduated from Catholic school in 1985, and Kristen, after school, she spent a short period of time in Europe as a foreign exchange student, and then she came back and spent a bit of time in Boston College before she then got a degree at the University of Minnesota, where she majored in women's studies. Now, this is where I thought this was really, really cool because she actually dedicated a lot of her time in her early days, in her youth, working with uh, rape victims and working as a sort of counselor. And she was really vying for women's rights, especially around, uh, you know, rape victims. And I think that's really nice about her. I think that's a really strong thing to do. Not everyone, I think, would have the, the guts and the courage to do something like this and kind of be in the front lines of it. But that's who Kristen was. And so I think that's really, really interesting. Kristen, as well, always had music on the back of her mind. She also mastered the piano when she was young and the cello. She then took it a step further and she taught herself how to play the bass guitar. And this is where she kind of would take a much bigger interest in music as a whole because during this time, she participated in her college radio station called Radio K where she would almost be like a host. Like, hey, this is Kristen Pfaff. Welcome. And this is what we're going to be playing today. Like, she clearly loved music and she had a natural ability to share music and to give some really interesting information on like underground Minnesota bands that she really enjoyed, which I think is really fascinating. Even though she really did enjoy majoring in women's studies and doing everything that that entailed, she would leave that to one side, if you will, in pursuit of a music career because that's really what called her the most in a different kind of aspect. And I think she found kind of a home in Minnesota. I really do think that she found some kind of solace because it was here that she would form one of her first bands that would become pretty major, especially with the underground Minnesota scene, but also at large internationally, to be honest with you. 
Um, so this is where she formed her band called Janitor Joe in 1991, and she played bass, obviously. And she formed Janitor Joe with guitarist, vocalist Joachim Brewer, I hope I said his name correctly, and drummer Matt Enstminger, or Enstminger, again. I'm so sorry. You guys know this about me. I'm so horrible at pronouncing names. I try my best. Joaquim and Matt and Kristen, they formed Janitor Joe. And they genuinely and honestly, they just knew how to tap into the growing music scene and how it's ever evolving. They could understand and they could see and they had the perception that grunge was coming forward. And especially in Minneapolis, there was this underground scene going on where it was early grunge sound mixed with post-hardcore, mixed with kind of punk. And that's what Janitor Joe was. And so they were very like of the time, but also they were just very perceptive and knowing that their music was with the time. Does that make any sense? Like, it's just really fascinating. She just knew and her band just knew how to make good music that was in line with what was becoming ever popular. So absolutely amazing. And of course, most of the grunge bands have been around by this time in 1991. So she was taking um, inspiration, if you will, from that, but also from like the underground rock scene that Minneapolis was kind of forming. So the music scene in Minneapolis was beginning to draw attention from the music press in 1993, and Janitor Joe was also getting international attention. Like Melody Maker was doing articles on Janitor Joe, which is so interesting that a small-time Minneapolis band that really was just so deep in the underground was actually getting international attention. That's it. It's just like so fascinating to me. So soon enough, Janitor Joe began to tour on a national scale, and they were slowly but surely developing their fan base. And it was during one of these shows that Janitor Joe was to put on in California in 1993 that in the crowd was a man named Eric Erlinson, and Courtney Love was also somewhat kind of there as well. But Eric Erlinson was in the crowd. He went up to Kristen after the show, and he said, hey, look, I am in this band called Hole. We're looking for a female bassist. I think you're awesome. Please come and join us. And, you know, Courtney was also really vying for her to come in because here's the thing. They already went through a couple of female bassists already at this point in time. There's a common denominator that's happening here with why these bassists have left because Courtney Love has this need to control everyone around her. And that includes the people in her band, obviously, of course, as Courtney Love would. Like, she would control everybody. And a lot of those girls that were bassists, they just left the band because they were not happy. I mean, they went through a couple of lineup changes anyway. But bassists, for some reason, they were just like, I'm gonna go over here now and never speak to you again. This was the thing, too, about Hole is it was mostly an all-girl band, except for Eric Erlinson. They were looking for female bassists to join, and Kristen was the up-and-coming kind of bassist of the time that was in the small town Minneapolis, you know. I mean, again, she was very beautiful, very pretty. She was classically trained in music. Like, she knew how to play music. She was very professional. Like, she knew all the ins and outs about music, so it was the natural conclusion for Eric and Courtney to pick Kristen because that could elevate the band and 
it absolutely did elevate Hull when she came in eventually. However, at this point in time on the timeline, Kristen denied and just rejected the idea that she would go to Seattle, Washington, and she would be with Hull. She didn't want to do that because she had her friends with Janitor Joe, and also she really found like her home place in Minneapolis, and she did not want to leave. She thought, I have my friends, I have my family, I have my band, like why would I go to Seattle, Washington all by myself, not knowing anybody, just on the whim to join this band? I don't even know them. It makes no sense to me. Like Kristen was very smart and she's like, I don't want to do this. So she said no. However, Eric and Courtney were just so relentless in trying to get her in the band and they would not let up on her. So Kristen was really bombarded with this and she felt really overwhelmed by it. So she asked her parents what they thought about this. Her mother was steadfast in saying, Kristen, you should not go. Please do not do this. Please do not go to Seattle to do this. You could call it maybe a woman's intuition, but she just had this feeling that Kristen should not take this opportunity. Her father, her stepfather, actually had a differing opinion. He actually suggested that Kristen go because Kristen, you know, really wanted to make a name for herself with her own music and actually get paid for it. I mean, she wasn't in it for the money or the fame. Don't get me wrong, she wasn't. Um, But music was her passion and the thought of getting paid for her work and her music was something that she always aspired to have. I think it might have helped her stepfather make this decision because Hull was with Geffen Records and obviously Courtney was kind of in with the grunge scene at the time. She was with Kurt Cobain. You know, I, I mean, Hull wasn't making a lot of big waves. They would with their future albums coming in, but, you know, they were making some money. They were in the industry and her father was like, listen, this is your moment to shine And this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, make a name for herself that way. So for her stepfather, it was no uh, should I or shouldn't I, it was a matter of go. And so Kristen was like, you know what, you make a pretty good point, stepfather. I think you're right on that. So she would turn around to Courtney and Eric and say, listen, I'll join you, but on two conditions. The first condition is that I get a bonus for when I come in, because obviously if she has to move all the way from Minnesota to Seattle, knowing nobody, having no foothold in Seattle, not having a place to live, not having her stuff situated. Of course, she was going to ask for a bonus. It made sense. And then she said, listen, I'm only going to join you on this album that you're making, which is going to be called Live Through This, which is their most popular album that they would ever do. She said, I'm going to be only with you on this one album and any tours that we do for this album. And then I'm going back to Minneapolis to be with my band, Janitor Joe. And that's it. She only wanted to be in Hull for that one moment to say, "Okay, I'll go with you for the experience just to see what it's all about. We'll see where it goes from there. But that's it. It's so unfortunate that Kristen just got taken advantage of the moment that Courtney and Eric really saw her. For the first time. I mean, this would be the beginning of the end for Kristen. I think maybe if some of us could agree, Courtney Love needed to control and dominate everything and everyone around her. And so Kristen being the really smart, talented, um, naturally gifted musically person in her band, you know, initially Courtney saw this as prime opportunity 
for Hole to get more recognition. This would be, I think, the bane of both of their existences because we'll get into it in a little bit here. So, in 1993, Kristen packed up her things and she moved to Seattle to work with Hole on their most popular album that would ever be called Live Through This. You know, the album with the girl, the prom queen crown on her head and the bouquet of flowers. Kind of very like Carrie-esque, you know what I'm saying? That album, right? That's their most popular album. That's the one that Kristen was going to be working on. So at this point, the lineup for Hole was Courtney Love, Eric Erlinson, Kristen, and Patty Chamel on drums. And, you know, Kristen moved into her little apartment that she would get herself on Capitol Hill. She used most of the bonus money that she got from Hole to fund this apartment and to get herself started. You know, she only knew this band. She didn't know anybody else. And so she would form some bonds within the band, notably Eric Erlinson. And the thing about their relationship, Kristen and Eric, is that from my understanding, and based on what Kristen has reported to her friends, some of her friends um, back home in Minneapolis, was that she was lonely, obviously no family, and no resources, and she was young and very impressionable, and she was a little nervous and scared, and so Eric was the first guy that she knew, obviously, because Hole was predominantly all-female. Eric was the one in the band. She latched on to Eric as more so as a means of desperation, or, or maybe that's not the right word, but she latched on to Eric as a means of normalcy, as a way to ground herself and say, I'm only joining forces with you, Eric, and bonding with you as a need to survive. Eric took a different approach to this. Eric started falling in love with Kristen. Eric's going to be kind of the center fold in Kristen's story as well as Courtney Love. But Kristen and Eric would end up dating each other. Again, I think Kristen dated him as a means of convenience. That's the word, not desperation, convenience. She dated him out of convenience because, again, like she didn't know anybody. He was just so infatuated with her. It's crazy because Eric would end up dating uh, Drew Barrymore in the future. Even that relationship with high-profile Drew Barrymore could not compare to what he had with Kristen. He would always and still has thought about Kristen. Eric Erlinson's a weird character in this whole thing, but that's kind of what I wanted to paint the picture of. Her and Courtney actually were friendly with each other initially. Again, I don't think Courtney saw Kristen initially as a threat, but that would all change because when they started going to Atlanta to record for this album, Live Through This, it started with Kristen suggesting melodies and arrangements for songs on the album. Again, Kristen's a classically trained musician. She taught herself how to play the bass and the piano. And, you you know, she really is very professional with her music. And she's like, hey, how about this arrangement or this melody or this, that? You know, Kristen is just over here being helpful, trying to suggest things. And Courtney Love is over here not liking the fact that Kristen's a strong woman that tries to come in and actually help her, right? Courtney has to be in control of everything. That's just how she is. Here's the other crazy thing, right? Eric Erlinson and Courtney Love dated 
previously, before Hull really got together, and obviously before Courtney and Kurt would end up married, right? So Eric and Courtney were an item prior to Hull, right? So now this new girl, Kristen's coming in, and Kristen's dating Eric. And now on top of that, Kristen's coming in and she's suggesting musical arrangements for, uh, quote unquote, right, Courtney's band's album. Courtney was not having any of this. Not only that, Kristen forms a really strong connection with Kurt Cobain. Kurt and Kristen are kind of very similar people. Innately and at their soul level, they're very much so similar. Kurt was a deep analytical thinker and also he was a literary fanatic. He really liked books. He really was a fan of music and learning all about music and going in depth about music and about bands and art and films. He was very uh, cultured, I would say. Kristen's the same. Kristen was a literary fanatic. She loved her books. She loved her music, obviously, with her past history with music already and art and uh, films and things. So the two of them, Kurt and Kristen, would end up forming a really strong connection that is corroborated not only by Dave Grohl, but Kristen's, one of Kristen's brothers, Jason. Jason ends up coming to see Kristen for a period of time during this recording to hang out and to see her and to see how she's doing. And Jason notices that Kurt and Kristen would be on the phone with each other for hours a lot of the time, just, you know, because again, Kristen was a lonely girl. And at this time, you know, Kurt was having his issues with Courtney. We all know this. It's no surprise. This is 1993. So there's already a lot of issues between Kurt and Courtney. So Kurt finds this beautiful young Kristen Pfaff who is very smart and she's not like Courtney at all. And so they have a strong connection with each other. Now, I personally don't believe that Kurt and Kristen ever dated or anything or, you know, <laughs> did anything together like uh, that romantically. But I think there was that attraction. I think there was that strong romantic attraction for sure, especially an intellectual and emotional attraction that was forming with, between them. Now, if you're a Courtney love and you see this, Kristen already dated your previous ex, Eric. She's already kind of talking to Kurt in a very strong way. And Kristen's already coming through and making suggestions for arrangements on your album. If you're a Courtney love, you see Kristen as now, at this point, your number one target. And she absolutely tries to, in my opinion, really get her beneath her level and almost like destroy her. That's my personal opinion. Kristen was her number one threat to her at this point in time. The craziest thing to me is Courtney would end up gifting. Gifting is a horrible word to say here because how can you gift someone drugs? Like, and that's a nice gift. It's not. But Courtney ended up giving Kristen like a purse full of drugs. And Kristen's brother Jason saw this. You know, Kristen's like, hey, look at what Courtney gave me. And it's like a whole freaking thing of drugs. And Kristen was never one to partake in strong drugs, especially anything like heroin. And Seattle was known as Washington's heroin capital at the time. I'm sure maybe it still is, but at the time it was. Kristen is young and impressionable. And what do you do in this point? You know, you fall out of Courtney Love's graces. She scares Kristen a lot. She's with this Eric Erlinson. She doesn't really love him that much, but he freaking is infatuated with her. She's trying to find some sense of normalcy. And she turns to drugs to, you know, maybe in some way help ease her pain. But that's Courtney Love's whole point. All right. I get this Kristen girl hooked on drugs and I give it to her for free. That's the thing. That's the thing. You have to know hookups, especially with heroin. 
How the hell is Kristen going to know any hookups in Seattle? You don't. She knew it via Courtney Love, right? And her bandmates, right? So Courtney gifts Kristen this free heroin and gets her hooked on heroin. And the thing about heroin is you have to use it at a constant rate. Otherwise, you start going through horrible withdrawal. You can't let that happen, right? If you're a heroin addict. So Courtney keeps on feeding her these drugs, getting her complacent, getting her to act in a way that Courtney wants her to be and getting her in that state of control. So the album Live Through This gets made. It obviously is very, very popular. There's a lot of critical acclaim around this album. Obviously, at this point in time, you know, Kristen's duty with Hole has been fulfilled. She's with the band to record the album. The only thing that she has to do now is tour. And that's what she said she would do, right? So at this point, after the album's made, she says, right, I'm going back to Minnesota because she's frightened. Kristen's frightened of the fact that she is addicted to heroin. She calls her parents. She talks to her mom. She says, mom, I am addicted to heroin and I'm scared. What the hell do I do? And Kristen's mom says, come back home. Come back home and go to rehab and clean yourself up. And don't go back to hole again. Come back home. And so Kristen, she's like, yeah, mom, you're right. I have to go back home and get help. And that's what she does, right? She was so savvy in all of this. I just, it's so sad that she ended up passing away in the way that she did at so young of an age. But she was so smart and so perceptive that she needed help and she got the help that she needed. Um, So she left Minnesota to go to rehab, but she left to go to Minnesota Partly because of, you know, her problems in whole with Courtney. And it makes a lot of sense. Like, listen, Kristen was scared of Courtney. And she would say that Courtney was the most egotistical, narcissistic person that she had ever met in her life. And that's a fair assessment of Courtney Love, even still to this day. Kristen, the sweet poor girl, she goes back to Minnesota. You know, she's not happy in Seattle, even though she made her connection with Kurt. You know, she's just not happy. And actually, uh, Patty Chamel and the band Hole, they form a tight connection to a friendship, um, her and Kristen. But, you know, even with those friendships, it's just it was hard for her to really find comfort and peace in Seattle. She did not belong there. Not everyone belongs in Seattle, okay? She did not acclimate to Seattle. She did not belong in Seattle. She belongs in Minnesota, in my opinion, with her friends. So, and she said this. She said this to the band. She said, look, if you want me to be happy and sane, I just need to go back home. When she got home, Kristen entered a Minneapolis detox center for heroin addiction in February of 1994. And when she got out, she went on tour with her band, Janitor Joe. And this is where she was happy. She was clean. She was getting back into her roots with her friends and her family and her band in Minneapolis. It was just everything was now starting to feel better now that she was in Minneapolis. However, things would take a turn for the unexpected when she hears about the death of Kurt Cobain in April of 94. And this absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, broke her heart. She really loved Kurt Cobain. She really, I think, relied on the stability that he brought her and the comfort that he brought her through their hours-long phone calls and connecting with each other. Even though there wasn't any, like, consummated romantic relationship there, I think there was, though, something forming there. And she was heartbroken when he passed away. And the story at the time was that he passed away due to drugs and, uh, The story was that he killed himself, so this is what she heard. 
Kristen said at this very moment, listen, I'm done. I am done with my obligations to the band, to Hole. I can't go back there. I am leaving Seattle permanently and I am going back to Minneapolis permanently. I'm done. She didn't want to go on tour with them anymore. She just, she wanted to be done. She wanted it to be over. She wanted it to be done. When she was in Minneapolis in May, she spoke to a paper called the Minnesota Daily and she said this, I was so naive. I know a lot more now about the music business and what it does to people. I mean, Kurt is the primary example. He broke my heart. So she said, I'm done. I have to be done with this. And so after her brief tour with Janitor Joe, once she heard of the news of Kurt's death, she went back to Seattle to go to Kurt's funeral. Uh, And then she came back to Minnesota to get her bearings and to figure her stuff out. Because again, she had her apartment in Capitol Hill in Seattle and a lot of her stuff was there. She had to go back and get her things. So this would be her fatal last trip to Seattle. The basic story that I'm going to say at this very moment in the timeline is she died in her apartment's bathtub of a heroin overdose. That's the story. How ironic she dies two months after Kurt Cobain. So there's some interesting, sketchy, weird things going on with her death that I will be getting into in just a moment, but I want to just set the tone for it. So her father, her stepfather, Norman, described Kristen as bright, personable, wonderful, very, very talented, smart, and she always seemed to be in control of her circumstances. And unfortunately, the day of her death, she seemingly wasn't in control of her death. This is the thing, though. Kristen's mother has never accepted the official story about her daughter's death being an accidental overdose. She never accepted that. She always just had her intuition that there was something more to the story that was not being spoken about or not being looked into, and that's just so unfortunate. In an interview that Kristen's mother would do to the Buffalo Times newspaper on October the 7th in 1994, Kristen's mother says, I don't want to blame rock and roll for what happened to Kristen. This isn't just another story about a rock star who bites the dust on drugs. Kristen was not a wild kid. She was an honor student who cared about music and the world around her. She commanded respect. She was very proud, had a radiant personality, and was brilliant. The way she died doesn't make sense to me, but her life was an inspiration to me and the people who knew her. After Kristen's death, Courtney ended up writing a letter to Kristen's mom saying this, Kristen was a star, not in some media sick way, but in a way that I felt gratitude in knowing her. She was very impressionable and extremely sensitive to her surroundings. She was also extremely pragmatic, which was why I didn't worry that much about her. Kristen was like an oak tree, so strong but so frail. That is just the weirdest thing coming from Courtney Love to say to Kristen's mother after Kristen's death. So with all that said and done, let me now take you deeper into her death and the details about her death and all the details that could add up to why Kristen's death is so shrouded in mystery. Let's briefly talk about Kristen's boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend, Eric Erlinson. As I already mentioned to you, he was very smitten over Kristen. He also, in some kind of weird way, had this kind of control over her as well. Based on the fact alone that he was so infatuated, he was almost like crazily obsessed with Kristen. He 
just could not even get enough of her. And it was almost like he was stifling Kristen in some way. This is just me observing the facts about this. You know, when Kristen was pulling away from Hole and wanting to go back to Minnesota, Eric was begging Kristen, please, please, please don't go. Stay. Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. He just couldn't get enough of Kristen and he begged her to stay. The weirdest thing is that at Kristen's funeral, the thing about Kristen's funeral, Kristen's family, they did not want Hole to show up to the funeral. They didn't want the media press coverage, obviously, but also they didn't want Hole to show up. How this went down was a representative for Geffen Records released a statement after Kristen's death that kind of misrepresented information and it stated falsely that Kristen was a member of Hole until her very end, and that was not true. As we know, Kristen left Hole, so Geffen made an oopsie, <laughs> and they said this, and Courtney actually ran with this, saying, oh yeah, Kristen was always a band member of Hole until the very end, she never wanted to leave, she was here always, uh, like how would it have looked to the public if it was actually heard that Kristen wanted to leave the band and she left before she died, that would have looked a bit sus, right? So Courtney ran with that incorrect public statement that Geffen Records made. However, Geffen Records apologized and they said, listen, that was, you know, misinformation. We sorry that we misspoke. That's not what we meant to say. And in a weird way, Geffen Records offered an invitation for the members of Hull to attend Kristen's funeral. But again, Kristen's family was like, uh-uh, we are not having this. They are not coming. They're not welcome. We don't want them here. What happens? What do you think happens here? Eric Erlinson, the bastard, he shows up to Kristen's funeral anyway. He shows up unannounced and uninvited and he causes a scene at Kristen's funeral. He draped himself over Kristen's coughing and he had to be pulled away by security. Can you imagine the embarrassment that had happened because of what he did? How traumatic for the family to see this happen. Like, what the hell? Isn't that crazy? It's mind-blowing, but he doesn't even stop there. After he gets pulled away by security at her funeral, he shows up to Kristen's family's house, looking apparently strung out, maybe on drugs. And he begs the family to let him in, and they wouldn't let him in, thankfully. I mean, what the hell kind of decorum is that? I don't, like, that is just so inappropriate. I just can't even believe that that happened. I just, I'm blown, I'm blown away by the horrificness that just is that whole thing. I can't believe. So keep that in mind, right, with Eric Erlinson and his behavior about Kristen and Kristen's death, right? Let's look into the angle of the fact that Kristen wasn't on drugs and wasn't using drugs when she had died, meaning Kristen had gotten sober when she went to Minneapolis and she got treatment. She didn't want to do drugs anymore, especially when she learned about Kurt's death. She was like, I'm done. I'm not doing drugs anymore. So she went clean. How does it make sense that Kristen dies of a heroin drug overdose? You're telling me that for some reason, this clean girl who knew she did not want to be on drugs anymore was found of a drug overdose. Almost as if to say, this is my last day in Seattle. I'm leaving with my belongings like as a farewell shoot up. How does that make any sense? That doesn't make sense. 
The fact that Kristen wasn't on drugs during this time was corroborated by Kristen's stepfather and by Patty Chamel Hole's drummer. So let's look into a little bit about Courtney's jealousy, right? I already talked to you a little bit about that, but let's go deeper. Kurt actually said this about Kristen to a friend, Dylan Carson. He said about Kristen, she is a fucking talented musician. She's also a beautiful soul. I think she's so beautiful. But if I ever told her that and Courtney found out, it would be hell. Obviously, knowing that Courtney is very jealous and very controlling. She, listen, I'm going to be blunt. Courtney found her ticket in Kurt Cobain, okay? Courtney used Kurt's musical talents and abilities and fame to her own advantage, okay? And Kurt was almost like her trump card. So the fact that Kristen and Kurt were having a strong bond with each other threatened Courtney and her place. Because what happened before Kurt Cobain died? He was going to divorce Courtney Love. And that's the thing where if anyone tries to leave, she will sink her nails even harder into them so that they can't go. And that's why there's a big question mark around Courtney and her contribution, possible, possibly, to Kristen's death. Now, like I mentioned to you before, she supplied Kristen with free drugs, free heroin. Here's a nice welcome gift. My new bass player in the band, free heroin. Get yourself strung out on drugs. Enjoy. What kind of person does that? It's crazy. So I mentioned to you as well that Kurt and Kristen would have long, hour long, like hours and hours and hours. Uh, phone calls uh, about art and books and music and all that stuff. Kurt went above and beyond that. And one day he gifted Kristen one of his favorite books. And this book was called Perfume, the Story of a Murderer by Patrick Suskind. Um, The thing about Kurt is if Kurt hated someone or disliked somebody, he would go out of his way to avoid that person. But on a similar notion, if he liked a person and he wanted to be around a person, he wanted to show good faith to a person. He wanted to make moves with a person. He would go out of his way to show that as well. So this was a big gesture for Kurt to gift Kristen a copy of his favorite book. And Courtney intrinsically knew this about Kurt. And this drove Courtney crazy. She was like, oh, hell no. He did not just gift Kristen a copy of his favorite book. This bitch is coming in on my marriage. She's not only coming in on my marriage to Kurt, she is stepping in with my ex, Eric Erlinson, and she's trying to make moves within the band, telling me what I can and can't do or suggesting arrangements for tunes on my album. Please, that's like what she was probably thinking, Courtney, okay? This is where a really famous quote comes from Courtney to Kristen during the recording of that album, Live Through This, where Courtney says to Kristen, you fuck my guitar player constantly make eyes at my husband and now you're telling me how to sing. Just don't fuck with me because you'll regret it forever. They could see that Courtney was being really mean and nasty to Kristen because of those kind of three main issues that I already pointed out to you. It was massively threatened. Courtney's position as a musician, as Kurt's wife, and her appeal as a whole. Courtney saw this was bad and Kristen was leaving. Courtney has this thing with rejection, I think. I think she does. That stems from her childhood, where if anyone leaves her, that can't happen. Like, you can't leave me because that's ultimate rejection. And that's, as a narcissist, the fact that anyone would want to leave you is like one of the biggest threats to your security, right? So 
a la Kurt Cobain, him dying when he was gonna get a divorce from Courtney Love, and Kristen's sudden death. Why the hell would Kristen die? And at the hands, possibly, of Courtney Love, it's just you have to ask these questions. So now let's get into the details, the details of Kristen's death. Okay, so a lot of this comes from a couple of articles that were written at the time of her death in 1994 that I got this information from, um, as well as information from her stepfather, Norm, that he acquired and uh, Kristen's mother. Here's kind of how it went down. So Kristen had one day left in Seattle. This was June the 15th. It was a Wednesday. She had a U-Haul outside her apartment in Capitol Hill that had a lot of her things already packed away because she was going to drive the U-Haul to Minnesota, you know, obviously, as you do. So this was going to be her last night. Now, her friend is Paul Erickson. Now, I don't know if they were dating at this time. However, Paul was her friend, a good friend of hers. This was one of her friends that she made in Seattle. So Paul was helping her gather her stuff for her U-Haul. He was staying in Kristen's apartment that night. So he slept in another room. And in another article, I read possibly that he slept in the U-Haul so that no one could come in and steal the U-Haul. Apparently, that was maybe a thing that was probable to happen. But either way, he was kind of away and he slept like away from Kristen. Well, they're not the only ones that were in that apartment. The only other person that came to see Kristen that night was, you guessed it, Eric Erlinson. So Eric comes to see Kristen at about 8 p.m. on Wednesday, June the 15th. And he stayed for about maybe an hour or so, a couple of minutes anyway. And then he left, Eric left, right? Somehow in that time, Kristen acquired heroin. Now, it wouldn't make sense to me logically to assume Kristen already had this or she acquired it herself. I don't think that makes any sense to me. I could ascertain Eric came with a bag of heroin, possibly. And in this meeting, he gave this to Kristen, right? Let's just say that, right? At 9 p.m. that night, Kristen draws a bath for herself in her apartment and she closes the door. And Paul's like, cool, cool, cool. I'm just going to like go sleep over here in this room or in the U-Haul, whatever, right? So Paul is away. He doesn't check on Kristen. He thinks everything is fine. He has no need to check on her. So he leaves, right? So Kristen takes a bath. Paul goes to another room. It's the following day, June 16th. It's 9.30 a.m. Paul wakes up and he notices, huh, Kristen's not in her bed. The bathroom door is still closed. That's really sketchy to me. So Paul forces himself in the bathroom, thinking probably the worst has happened, and he's right. Kristen was found dead in the bathtub with drug paraphernalia scattered around her and her diary. Now, Kristen had a diary and she would write in her diary. It was noticed, especially when all of Kristen's belongings came back to Kristen's family in the diary, that there were pages purposefully ripped out of her diary And apparently, the pages of the diary that were ripped out had talked about Kurt's final days, like his disappearance, right, before he died. Is that sketchy or what? I think that's a bit sketchy, okay? She was found dead of this heroin overdose. Now, obviously, when you're clean and you use drugs again, your normal dose of your drug of choice isn't going to metabolize the same in your body as it would if you were a constant user, right? When you get clean and you use again the same amount, you could overdose pretty easily. So to me, it just doesn't make sense though that Kristen as a clean person 
who was so affected by Kurt Cobain's death due to this, you know, drug overdose that Kurt had, right? And everything that was going on with her and she was afraid that she was an addict. It doesn't make sense to me just kind of seeing Kristen's personality that she would actively do this to herself. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, my personal theory, this is just my personal theory, allegedly, okay? My personal theory is Eric Erlinson came over, he had the bag of heroin or he had the heroin, right? Now, could he have maybe done the deed? Eric was the last person to see Kristen alive. Kristen seemingly wanted to relax in her bath before she went to bed. It doesn't make sense that she would do it herself. She could have, and it could have been an accident. But for me, I really see this as Eric was kind of the, the one there. Now, as the conspiracy similarly to Kurt Cobain, Courtney Love is in the same pool there as she's the main person that's culpable of Kurt's death. But obviously, it wasn't done by her personal hands. Courtney didn't come in and shoot Kurt with the drugs and then do the deed, right? She didn't do that. She, in my opinion, just with the conspiracy or whatever that you want to believe, right? The theory that's going around is that she had someone else do it for her. Well, that's how Courtney does her dirty work. She gets someone else to do it for her. Now, Eric Erlinson, who had just been broken up with by Kristen and she was leaving Seattle and Courtney Love, who had issues with Kristen, is it so hard to put the pieces together that the two of them could have procured this heroin? And it's not hard to lace heroin, by the way, or give Kristen a higher dose or know that she was clean and give her the same amount and expect it. Who the hell knows, right? But is it so hard to believe that Courtney and Eric were kind of like, you know, one and one and done here with Kristen? It's not hard for me to believe. Say conspiracy theory all you want, but for me, that's how I view this, right? That's basically the details of Kristen's death and the official ruling from the coroner's report that we got. And by the way, the coroner that did Kristen's uh, autopsy was the same person that did Kurt Cobain's autopsy. Just I'm just saying, and he was friends with Courtney Love, this coroner. I'm just saying Kristen's uh, official ruling on her autopsy report was due to an accidental overdose. Okay. All right. I just laid out the information for you. You make of that what you will. Okay. You can believe if she died by accident of her own hands or if it was something more. That's all I'm saying. Now, Courtney Love did an interview with Rolling Stone in December of 1994. This was obviously after Kurt Cobain had passed away and this was after Kristen had passed away. People were really like trying to get Courtney Love's opinion on like, oh my God, you're a rock and roll widow of, of Kurt Cobain. Like, what do you think and feel about all this? Like she was just having her moment here. And so the interviewer for Rolling Stone asked Courtney, how much grief and sympathy did you have left over when your bassist Kristen Pfaff died of a drug overdose in June? And this is what Courtney had to say about this. This was in December. I didn't process it, man. The only time I processed it was when I spoke with her mother. I couldn't extend in words to lose your child. I had to go over there and get Eric away from the body. Kristen was his lover for a really long time. He'd already broken down bathroom door after bathroom door for her. He'd kicked in drug dealers' doors. So she's implying that Kristen OD'd before and Eric was white knighting coming in and saving Kristen here. I put a big question mark on that. I really do. It's just interesting to me that the grief, Courtney had no grief for Kristen. She didn't have, in my opinion, she didn't really care. And this is corroborated by Kristen's stepfather, Norm. When he came to Seattle to get Kristen's things, when he heard about Kristen's death, he went to Seattle. And according to Norm, he said that there was no type of remorse 
from Courtney or Eric about Kristen's death. They didn't even have the capacity to feign remorse or to fake remorse. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Kristen was such a great person. No, they didn't even give any kind of remorse, fake or real remorse. Eric might maybe have a bit of a conscience, though, because in an interview he has done in 2012 when he came out with a book that he did talking about Courtney and um, Kristen, he said that in his life he has done a lot of stupid things and people close to him have died because of his stupid actions. Now, mm, could he be implicating himself there? Yeah, I think he could be. That's just my personal opinion. So, Courtney can't even feign any kind of remorse for Kristen's death. And there's a lot of questions still about Kristen's death. The fact of the matter is Kristen's death is still widely regarded as a mystery, even though it's been officially ruled by her autopsy as an accidental overdose. I just simply don't believe it. And how can it be that two people so closely knit to Courtney Love die within two months of each other of similar kind of instances? It's just like... like Courtney was a drug addict herself, obviously, and she had the connections to get heroin. She knew. She knew where to get heroin. Like, she knew where to score. She knew how to score. She knew all about heroin, okay? Kristen knew nothing about this. She was thrust into this world in Seattle where she knew nothing. She knew nobody. It just it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And so that's what I have to present to you today, the mystery of Kristen Pfaff and her death. What do you think? Do you think that Courtney Love and Eric Erlinson had a hand in Kristen's death, that they were culpable for her death? Or do you think that Kristen simply wanted to get high one last hurrah in Seattle before she makes her way to Minneapolis and uh, never look back? What do you think? Accident or something more suspicious? I would really be keen to hear what you guys have to say. I've known about this story for years but I finally sat down to gather all the facts to tell you guys. And that is essentially the story. I hope you guys learned something today that you hadn't known about before. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen. Janitor Joe, Kristen's band that she was a part of, they only came out with one album when she was alive. I don't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but I've heard uh, through reviews that it's one of the greatest or one of the best underground grunge albums of the time. If you're a fan of grunge music, I would highly suggest you give it a listen. I know I will be, absolutely. Um, so give it a listen. Give Janitor Joe a listen because I've heard uh, that it's very, very, very good. So, um, But thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys have an awesome day and I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye.